Good afternoon, Mark. Can you hear me? Welcome. Yes, I can. I can hear you. This cool. Is this is our second episode. Woo! Woo! I can't see you, but that's that's a small price I'm going to have to pay, I guess. You might be able to see my profile picture. I can very well. Uh, that'll, be, that'll, that'll be good enough, I think, for now. <laughs> I'll, I'll live with that then. <laughs> yeah, so this is the second episode of Curious Anchor. We are having tea with Martin Luther King Jr. And my co host today, once again, is the amazing, the talented, the wonderful Mark Wilson, everybody. Uh, good afternoon. Sorry, uh, I'm here. Mark couldn't make it. So this is the other Mark Wilson, who's just the average every day. How are you doing? Uh, nice to see you. Shoulder on the arm, Mark Wilson. Nice to see you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mark. So today's episode is subtitled Silent Screaming to be Heard. Yeah. We're talking I, I... about the silent scream and just wanting to be heard and the whole kind of emphasis that's kind of being lost and trying to be made up for by screaming in some way, shape or form. So, yeah, it's funny. We were just having a chat just before this uh, episode here about some of the stuff that's been going on online. And so, yeah, Mark? Yeah, so um, I noticed that a lot of people are making sure that you know they're still there by making statements that are out of the ordinary for them because they want to make sure they get a response. Because if you just say, hello, how are you? Not everyone answers. If you say something like, I can't stand the fact that you love Marmite, everyone starts jumping into the conversation. So it seems like a time people are trying to cope with the consciousness of this particular period we're going through. And by doing that, they seem to feel the need to silently scream that I'm still here. So that's why we decided to call it that, really. Yeah. So we wanted to talk about. God, I think we just, let's just jump right into it. Okay. Um, posted an article. I think was it yesterday? Yeah. yeah yesterday. Um, with about it was burning the homeless being offered the vaccine. Um, and I, I made a comment in my post, which I did through Christian, because I've been banned for a week. Welcome back. Welcome back. That, that has been something. Literally, it's been like being outside of a goldfish bowl, looking in, and yeah. seeing all, all the all the action take place, all the comments and stuff that's going on. And, and you I can't, can't actually... Yeah. I, can't, I can't even like a comment. <laughs> yeah, that's just mean. Facebook, you need to be nicer than that. You need to give it an option to at least like a like. Yeah. Come on. I you're think not that would be helpful. You're not that naughty an organisation. You can at least put a like button in. Come on, people. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It was... It was. Um... So I, I didn't see that article, but what I noticed was that last night it was minus uh-huh. one. It was freezing in the house. Okay. And there are people sleeping on our streets in yeah. every city in in London, in England, sorry, uh, every city in the United Kingdom, people are sleeping on the streets. Uh-huh. And it made me think of a couple of things. First of all, we were told at the start of this whole epidemic, uh, epidemic that homeless people would be put into housing. A, because we shouldn't have homelessness anyway. 
And second, because the chance of virus spreading is much greater if we're leaving lots of people lying on the streets who can pass it on. So it would make sense from two different angles to put people in accommodation. Mm. That happened, but then it closed down. um, Something that I've noticed is I remember just as the the pandemic was beginning, the homeless people around my area kind of just disappeared. Yeah, and it was it was quite refreshing to to see that it was it was good, and because like there's there's quite a few homeless people around here, um, and it's, it, you get to know the faces absolutely of the people, and then you just see things that just have disappeared. So there's there's no tent, no blanket, no dog or anything like that. And it's like, okay, this is actually, it, it's good. They've been housed. I mean, this is good. I come and from slowly, a different. Slowly, they've been. They, I've, I'm seeing more and more of them. So I come from a slightly different. I'm going to put my card on the table. I, I come from a situation where I used to work with homeless people, and I could yeah. never envisage a situation where there wouldn't be homeless people because, consistently, governments have failed to deal with the reasons why people are homeless. Mm-hmm. And to see people put in housing temporary at the beginning of this virus was so refreshing that finally after 50 years of seeing this something was actually being done however however now that they've put them back out on the streets again it occurred to me we're on our third wave of this virus attacking the country Uh we're in the coldest time of the year and we're still having people sleeping on the streets it's like what on earth is the thinking behind that. And then it made me think of this. If we can't cope with a single thing like dealing with homelessness, arguably one of the simplest things we have to deal with as a nation, how are we going to expect to deal with all the other factors like mental health, like racism, all the areas that are affecting this virus? How are we going to deal with the virus if we cannot tackle a simple I don't mean simple as in, uh, there's not complex issues in it, but simple as in the answer to homelessness is to give people somewhere to live. And we have yeah. places, empty, lots of empty, over 100,000 empty places that people could stay. Oh. You know, we have hotels that got no one in them because we can't take guests at the moment. The logical thing is to put them in there. And then we're going to have yeah. to say, well, who's going to pay for that? But people, uh-huh. the governments are paying for things we are wasting. Uh-huh. And a simple thing like this that you could solve almost overnight is not being dealt with. Well, they they pretty much solved it overnight. Well, yeah, but I'm saying they, they weren't... Showing that they can do it. Well, they weren't prepared to keep it going. You know, I, yeah. I was listening to the radio this morning and lots of people who, are, who have lost their jobs or who had to go into work. And they didn't want to go into work. They had to go into work to keep their houses. You know, they got a family of four to keep their house. They had to go into work when they didn't want to go into work. They wanted to follow the guidelines. These are the people everyone's screaming at because they're not listening to the advice. The advice is stay at home and lose your home. Then we have a bigger problem with homelessness. Then we have a bigger problem with the virus because it's spreading. These are simple things to fix. Simple things to fix. You know, there are much more complex issues out there. But as a nation, as a nation, if we can't solve something as simple as this, then we are not going to go very far with with solving the areas around this whole pandemic. Mm. 
So I wanted to talk about it because to me it was it was frightening and striking that it was minus two last night, and we have people mm-hmm. sleeping on our street. And it's been snowing as well. And it's been snowing around the country. Exactly. It, it hasn't snowed here in uh, South London, though. Well, I mean, no, sorry to, to be quite, but, uh, to be quite fair. It doesn't matter if it's snowing or not. If you're living on the street, if it's minus two, it's minus two. You know well, what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's a question of how much, how many blankets and things you can put on and still feel absolutely bitter mm. and cold. You know, but there are people mm. in their houses at the moment freezing. Can you imagine what it's like on the streets? Yeah. Um, and these are and the other thing that struck me about this, people often go on about the people that have fought for this country, veterans, etc. A lot of homeless people are veterans. And then, if you you know, like you imagine the mix, because I've worked in this area, I, I know what the mix is. You've got a lot of veterans. You've also got a lot of people with mental health problems. Years ago, we used to have health, mental health hospitals. Now, a lot of them live on the streets because they can't cope with simple rule structures that you'd have in, in a rented accommodation, right? So they're on the street, not getting their medication because they have a mental health problem. You've got people who are broken up in relationships, people who have drug problems, people who have alcohol problems. Instead, so they're like a double whammy. Not only are they being punished for those flaws that they have in their life, unfortunately, but also because they have to go and live on the street in minus two temperatures. Mm. I mean, we're meant to be a civilized, modern country. And these are some of our most vulnerable people as well. Yeah. And you will find out if you look through history, some of the most creative and in, in amazing people, they just happen to be homeless. Mm. And and we are perpetuating that as a nation. Yeah. And I stated in the in the post that the article states that there's fifty six or just over fifty six thousand homeless people in the UK. I mean, you've got to remember when you say things like that, like with everything that we talk about, there are hidden numbers as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, someone goes into a bed and breakfast for a week and they're not counted in that statistic. Yeah. Yeah, or people that don't answer any questions. I know so many people that wouldn't go anywhere near you if you came with a clipboard and tried to speak to them. Hmm. You know, um, maybe it might help. I don't know if it will. I don't know if it might not. If I tell you a story of a homeless person I met, when I was working, and this was 20 years ago now, but just to give an example of the kind of people that live on the streets. Would it help? I don't know. Sure. Okay. Go ahead. So I met a young man. I met a young man who was about 24 years old. Now, if you'd have seen him, he would have looked like a character from, older people remember this character, Cat Weasel. Uh, He had a long beard. He had cut-down trousers. He had no shoes or socks, even in the winter. He was heavily, heavily onto combination drugs. That is, you know, sort of crack, heroin, etc. And I was told that he won't talk to any adults um, by his caseworker. So I spoke to the caseworker in depth because I had to work with this young man. Uh, he was temporarily staying in the hostel I was working at. We were working at a short-term homeless project where you could stay for a couple of weeks. Okay. Um, and I found out that he'd come from Ireland and that in the town that he was in every single adult was 
collaborating in a child abuse ring. So that even police officers, judges, teachers were all collusive in it. Which is why he wouldn't talk to adults. He couldn't trust any adults. So when you tried to help him, he didn't see you trying to help him. He just saw another adult trying to abuse him. Now, he needed intense support in a building where he doesn't feel threatened, support around his drug use, support around the mental health issues coming from that, from as a young age being abused like that. Huge support. Right? Can you imagine people like that on the street today? In the cold, with nowhere to go. And not trusting a lot of people who supposedly come with to help but sometimes that isn't always the case Hmm. and then you mix that with the people who go out at night and set fire to them urinate on them etc and then at three in the morning you get these vans that drive around claiming to clean the streets by spraying water cold water and they deliberately aim at homeless people so that they don't sleep on the streets and that's Hmm. the society we are living in right now I'm sorry, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to bring people down. I just would, I want to know as a nation, how do we respond to such a lack of humanity, a lack of kindness? I know so many people that are very, very kind, that would help anyone, and their voices are not being heard. What we're hearing is the callousness and the self-centeredness of, oh, I want to put it in a nice way, but I'm going to say the greedy community. You know, our politicians and people who who are just in it for themselves, because otherwise this would not be an issue. And like I said to you before, this is a much easier issue to solve than a lot of the things we're talking about. Yeah. I would imagine so anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I think, think even if, the anti, anti, is it called anti-social or yeah, yeah. anti-homeless measures that they take, like the spikes and... Yeah, exactly. Um, All benches. Of yeah. They've even the new benches they're they're making them with a tilt and also with like two slats so that you can't comfortably lie on it anyway. And what the And then you've got the little partition in the middle. It's it's all of these little things that I've mm. noticed. Speaking with Susanna actually, and she pointed yeah. out a couple of these things and I was like, Oh wow. This this new modern contemporary architecture is actually anti-homeless deliberately anti-homeless yeah and what you find is where if you're listening to this podcast in scotland or in manchester or in india and it's quite it's quite a collaborated collective response to homelessness is to try and drive it from one area to another so you try and push it out of let's say the west end of most cities and then you'll find it in the next area like for example camden or um uh, the ball ring or something like that. You, you push it one place to another so that they keep having to have to move on. So they can't even feel comfortable and get the services they would get in the area that they've been in most of the time. Mm. You know, like most homeless people know little catches where they can get soup somewhere or, you know, where the, where the night um, food kitchen sort of opens up. So if you push them out of that area, they've got to find it in the next area. Yeah. And, and so let's not kid ourselves. People are dying from this. Because you know, it's the cold will kill people. Hypothermia, you know, it, it, we know what cold does. We've got old pensioners living at home with dying because they can't put the heating on. They can't afford the electricity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this should not be an issue in 21st century society. It just shouldn't be. 
it, um, it does well, amaze me. Sorry. The, I mean, especially going down when I used to work um, in Park Lane, um, heading down Oxford, Oxford Street, yeah, Oxford yeah, Circus, yeah. like all the, this is like the commercial hub for retail. So we've got, you know, your luxury brands, you've got your sportswear brands, all of these brands and, and high street outlets. And then there's homeless people on the doorstep. Well, because the shop, the way the shops are built, the door, the door entrance offers more protection from the cold. Yeah, you know, yeah. then then other buildings. Because I used to do this thing. If I went to somewhere with my friends in the West End, they'd be looking at sort of you know tourist sort of spots in the West End. I'd be looking at mm-hmm. to see homeless people that I knew where they were, and. You know, you could trace it all the way down. There's a huge, the biggest uh, homeless day centre in Europe is in just near Trafalgar Square, St. Martin's in the field. Okay. Um, it's uh, huge, it's huge. So look, that's a starting point because you can only go there from nine till five because it closes in the night. So at five o'clock, you're back on the street, so to speak. But in okay. the daytime, you can get, you, you know, some food, you know, you can get support, etc. So. That's a really good service if it's still running because I don't know how much funding they have. Um, and but what I'm saying is that uh, homeless people learn the technique of where to go, like where's the best place to build your home. Because for a lot of them, don't want to be with other homeless people because they could get attacked or stolen from, etc. Uh, if you're a woman on your own, you really don't want to be around a lot of fellas, you know, at night. Or you've got no support. Um, mm. So that's, that's actually quite interesting. Is that they don't they have a, a very individual oh yeah sort of survival of the fittest kind of mentality I'll give you a really simple one but it's so obvious and yet it isn't if you know what I mean hmm. those that have pets okay so a lot of the people that are homeless don't like people they don't trust people they don't you know they've been let down time and time again by their families and friends and etc but they trust particularly dogs because dogs are very loyal and they won't argue with you, if you know what I mean. They'll stand by you, whatever happens. So most hostels won't take homeless people with dogs. Wow. Right? So okay. what, you're not going to leave your dog and go into a hostel, are you? <laughs> Come on, that's not going to happen. Mm. You could go to a day centre and have your mate look after the dog while you go and get a cup of coffee or whatever, but you're not going to go in and stay overnight in a place that won't allow you to have your dog in there. Some places won't let you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, wow. you know, depending on what, you know, what you are. But I'm saying, can you imagine that if it was you? If I said to you, you can't yeah. take your pet in there or you can't take your partner in there, would you still go in? Well, no. So that's the problem. <laughs> you know, that in essence is where we fall down because if I'm an ex-soldier, let's say I've got some mental health problems, I've got a dog, and you offer me somewhere to stay tonight, Mark, I think you've 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 gone quiet. Sorry, can you hear me? There we go. Yeah, that's much better. Sorry. Yeah, I can't I can't leave my dog outside because I don't know what will happen to it. Mm. Yeah. So I'd rather just stay outside with my dog. In the same way my dog has always stood stood by me, stayed by me. Um so 
when you talk to homeless people, you know these things. I remember talking years and years ago to the homeless czar, Louise Casey at the time, and talking about, well, why there aren't support? Like once you put someone in a hospital, why aren't there secondary and tertiary support mechanisms in place so that you can weed out which ones go where? Like if you've got a mental health problem, you go that way. I mean, for example, if you've got a drug issue, it could take it over a year to get into a rehab or a detox. By then, you've probably forgotten why you were going there in the first place, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, This isn't good enough because, you know, once you talk, you know, if any of us went outside, spoke to a homeless person, within a week, you'd know exactly what you need to be providing so that they could go inside. And these things are not being provided. Um... Well, you think about the exhaustive waste of money that this government has been doing, even around the pandemic. I think you could easily have resolved these issues. It really wouldn't have been hard. You know, it really wouldn't have been hard. But, but unfortunately, the maintenance of this has been going on for such a long time. Uh, you know, I can remember watching movies about it in the 70s, Kathy Come Home, things like that, where you could see the effects of homelessness. Churches have been working with the homeless for for that time as well, you know, if not longer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've struggled to get my head around why we, as a, as a country, can't deal with it, why the government won't deal with it, why we can't get a government that's fairly incompetent to deal with it. So, because when I talk about other areas then, like racism, and I talk about employment and and, and uh, sustaining people, families at a time like this, or education. If we can't force government to respond to something like homeless, how are we going to get them to respond to any of these other things? If their yeah. single greatest trait is incompetence. Hello? It's a real challenge. <laughs> just, just, just taking a I'm moment, like, letting that thing I'm homeless, let me. <laughs> You know, um, like because it, it's evident that it is possible. So, what, like, it's a basic human right to have somewhere to live. We say things like that. To have a roof over your head. We say things like that. You know, it's a basic human right to have somewhere to live, to not be abused, to to not, uh, you know, not suffer oppression or pain and yet we allow these things mm-hmm. to carry on mm-hmm. it's like it's such a we live a, a sort of dichotomy a, a, a schizophrenic behaviour that we on the one hand we say it's not acceptable to have these things and on the other hand we just on a day to day level allow it to happen mm-hmm. years ago when we, when I used to work in that field people used to say well the reason why the homeless don't get help is because they the government know that they won't vote to get the government out and they're only interested in who's voting you know we know it's a very popular government right now they they do anything to get popularity to be liked uh, they don't care because the homeless people are not going to they're not their voting audience are they yeah well they're, they're actually unable to vote yeah I mean you have to have they're, a registered address etc you know yeah, and and so you can't, you don't get the right to vote. Then I worked with women who were homeless who had to in, engage in the sex industry, and um, mm-hmm. you know, half of them were gay because they were addicted to drugs. Because living on the street, 
you need something to sustain you in minus two temperatures. So it becomes a, a self-fulfilling circle there. It goes round and round and round because you can't get off it. Because until you get somewhere to live that you feel safe, your best protection is is coping. So it got me thinking last night, if we cannot resolve the issue at minus two in the, you know, in the night to put people in housing, how are we going to resolve any other issue that we think right now is of great importance? When you think about how are they going to resolve the issue of, for example, fish in the North Sea and stuff like this, if they can't solve housing, how do you expect this government to deal with things like that? What do you think the outcome is going to be? This, this last sort of 10 months or so has been a real time of exposure. And there have been, like you were saying earlier, so many things that have really come to light. And I think people have kind of had either more time or they've been laid off. So we've kind of been trying to build communities, LTAR being one of them. Um, whether it's racism, whether it's unemployment, whether it's the police, whether it's health, you know, all of these things, I, it, it's, it's, it's been a kind of overwhelm, I think, to a degree. I think people have tried to cope within their own bubble to deal with their own environments. So ensuring that they have as much support and safety as they can have. Um, but that was very much on the understanding that it was only going to last a few months. This is a year. Yeah. And we're yeah. looking that by by summer, we may not even be out of this. Mm. So mm. this wasn't part of the contract that the nation engaged in. Now, I'm not suggesting that it was, you know, like this, it was as statutory as that. But what I mean is we've been fumbling our way through like in the dark and every three months the government keeps saying we're going to put the light on and then the light doesn't come on yeah so people who for example let's say you worked in the entertainment industry again in the middle of the west end normally so mix it with the homeless and, and with you when you had your job they haven't worked for a year and they're not going to be working for six months so wedding organizers you know events planners all of that no one is going to be working most pubs aren't opened haven't been open for a long time what are those people yeah. meant to be doing Where's the, where's the direction? Where's the advice of what they're meant to be doing? If you saw that the homeless statistics increased because some of those people end up on the street because they can't pay their rent, because they can't pay their rent at the pub, because you know they, they have mental health issues because they can't cope with a, a year and a half of nothing happening, you wouldn't be surprised. And we have not been given the indication of what is going to change to make this better right now. Yeah. And what we have in this country, because this, this has always been a, a kind of independent thinking kind of a country, uh, a think tank, let's say, certain people just got with their normal lives, certain people don't think it's real, certain people are working in hospitals, certain people, uh, you know, mourning loved ones. We've got a whole gambit of responses to being left to get on with it yourself because we don't have proper leadership. 
in Australia and in New Zealand and Vietnam and China, people are getting with their normal lives. They haven't had the virus for at least four months. Yeah. You know, we're still in the height of it. Us in America could have this for the next two or three years at this rate. And where is the direction? Where's the leadership coming from? The best thing that people can do to one another is show kindness and help. And this is why coming back to what we started the program with, this is why so many people are silently screaming. They just want to say, I'm still here. Because we're living Groundhog Day for a year now. And it could go be for another year for all we know. It really is that that sense of, I don't know, to kind of like use that overused phrase, but the sense of uncertainty that we have right now. Nobody knows when, you know, we're going to get the economy moving, get people getting back into jobs. But even then, a lot of these, you know, retailers are closing down. Um, Debenhams have closed down yesterday. They've been bought out, but the... um, Boohoo, I think it was, isn't buying the stores. Those 250 stores shut. You know, I don't know how many people that is, but if you if you opened, you know, like, let's say we had the virus clear tomorrow, and you opened a school or a pub or a, a department store, there are no guarantees. The government's not offering you any guarantee about how you go forward. You get no reduction of rents and things like that, which you kind of should do to get started. You're not guaranteed anyone's going to start using your place again. Yeah, so many people yeah, are working online yeah. now, doing things stuff online because they've had to. <laughs> they've had to. What other choice do you have? Yeah. So you would feel incredibly isolated and vulnerable starting up something now, not knowing what the outcome would be. I know so many people that were about to start a venture and are thinking, put it on hold till we can start it. But there is no certainty for them at all. We know certainly people can leave the house and spend money for a start. And, um, you know, surely you're thinking if you worked in a, in a setting with people, with lots of people, you're thinking, well, okay, say, let's say we started open up the swimming pool again. How do we know that within two months, everyone's not going to get infected by coming to the swimming pool? Because we don't know. It's definitely, definitely mm. gone. We're not getting the kind of leadership that I think the places we mentioned before that, that, that are clear of it have had. Yeah. I was speaking to a friend who lives in Australia and um, as, as you well know, Australia has been clear of the virus for months yeah. now. And they had an outbreak, or no, not necessarily an outbreak, they, had, they found a case, basically, which is somebody from the UK. <laughs> Yeah, no, not. I do. It's um, they isolated that case and dealt with it. So you say that again? When the first cases New Zealand had of the virus, mm-hmm. where they had been clear for like months, was when a plane load of English people arrived and, and brought the virus from from England, and they had to shut down part of New Zealand just to, you know for a sort of short period to to make sure that it didn't spread, basically. Um, we, we know that around the world people have dealt with it differently and have had better results. I, I'm stuck with a memory. I don't know if you have this memory. At the very beginning, 
Wuhan, the place where it all kicked off allegedly. Um, yeah. The Chinese government built seven hospitals in, in a week where they were going to house all the people that had the virus so it couldn't spread outside of that province. And I was left with the contrast memory in my head thinking, do you think our government could or would do that? Could they do it? And would they do it? Well, I mean, we had the Nightingale. That was already there. That was the the Excel Center. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm saying, could they build new hospitals from, from scratch in a week? I've never seen that happen before. Could they? They could well do. I think you need a government that is capable of achieving things, of, of, of setting targets and achieving them, to be able to have that. I'm not. I've not seen any sign of that for the past twenty years in this country. Hmm. What I'm saying is, it was striking that China's response to the problem. I mean, okay, that you can argue all the things about the politics and the and the lack of uh, democracy and everything, all those things, and that's all true. And it shouldn't be allowed. But the one thing you can say is, if that government said they're going to build seven hospitals in a week, they do it. And that saved an awful lot of the population. Don't forget, they've got a billion, over a billion people living in that country. That saved a lot of the population, cutting it off to the area that it was in, getting everyone in the hospital for a month, and then it doesn't spread. Now, a lot of people listening will say things like, well, we don't know if they're telling the truth. And that's true. That's absolutely true. We don't know. But what we do know is they certainly haven't got the percentage of cases that we have. That's for certain. Yeah. And we're still sitting here thinking, well, if I said to any of the people listening to this, what what do you think you'll be doing in April or September or December? You can't tell me for certain. You'll be free of this. And I'm just wondering how many people, if we all got together, collaborated, could solve hopelessness, could find better solutions to this. Because what we're relying on is some kind of guidance that doesn't seem to be taken anywhere. There are 90-year-olds in this country that stayed in their house for over a year now. Haven't seen any of their relatives, haven't had any contact with other people because they were told stay in and nothing has changed. Is that acceptable in a, a 21st century civilized community? I think there has also been a lot of mixed messaging. So we've had, oh, you know, kids can't spread it and then exactly kids can't so then they're going to school and then they're not going to school and you know you've got parents one parent might well be a key worker both of them might be they might only have one parent you know how how are they managing through this whole Um, debacle that is the problem if i speak to a young person today they're going to tell me they can't catch it even though young people have died from this virus. And that's the problem. It, the, the, the lack of consistent information, consistent knowledge, is causing huge problems. And it's causing 
us to have what, what we are now third or fourth wave of this reoccurring pandemic when other countries have not had that. Yeah. And you have to say, I mean, they, they, their information like, is not helping the population. We had Christmas time where they opened up things for the three days. Yeah, yeah. And then we went back into a lockdown. And it's like, why do that when people being around people helps to spread the virus? Well, I'll tell you what, a much, a much more obvious thing that is ongoing is what is an essential job? We're yet to be told by our government what an essential job counts as. So could I work on a building site? Could I work as a dustman? Could I work as in a restaurant? Could I? I mean, what is an essential job? We haven't been told, so it's left to people to make their own mind up whether they need to go into work or not. Yeah. Secondly, we don't have trace, test and trace. So we, if someone thinks they have it, they might still go into Tesco tonight. Yeah. So on every level, we're not meeting any targets for dealing with this uh, attack on the population. Yeah. If you remember why we actually went into lockdown the very beginning, this is, this is fascinating. And it's fascinating because at the time that our government was advocating herd immunity, that everyone catches it and we get over it. That's what their actual plan was for this. What's happened? What happened was the week after that, two big sporting events in this country contaminated a lot of people. There was a football match where I think it was Spanish fans came here or something like that and it contaminated a lot of people and there was a big horse racing event and after yeah. that sporting institutions shut down their events and when they started to shut that down the government then copied them it wasn't it didn't come from the government it came from sporting community that the government then copied mm. that's important because the, it shows the lack of direction the lack of leadership from our national government it didn't come from them came from sports events going, we don't want to make be responsible for hundreds of people catching a virus by attending football matches and what have you. Yeah. And that's where you that's can trace the beginning of the lack of leadership of how we deal with these things. Yeah, yeah, that's it. You know, um, they really took a, took a handle on it. And I remember I was involved with an event and they were following the government guidelines and there was a lot of arguments between members and, and staff and what have you. And finally, finally, I think it was something like three, maybe four weeks into like the whole, when the messaging began, they finally came up with, okay, let's go into lockdown now. Yeah, exactly. And what I think has happened is they have created, and I don't say this lightly, but I believe they have created a nation of wage slaves. Because people now are in such a desperate situation with housing, with bills, with all the things to sustain yourself, that you're now have to work and you have to go with any job that you can get. So our wages will go completely down now because people are so desperate to find work, it won't matter what they offer as a wage. 
they created yeah. a, a form of wage slavery that we probably haven't seen since the 19th century. Because when we finally step out of all this, employers can, won't have the money to charge, give proper wages. Employees will have to yeah. work because they need to pay the bills and get food for their kids, etc. They've created mm. a system that's enslaving people on a monetary psychological level that we haven't had for 200 years. And they've, they've bottlenecked it. Yes, well, exactly. Turned into a bottleneck. So yeah. all, the whole bunch of jobs have just disappeared. Stores are closing down, pubs are closed, etc. I think uh, Weatherspoon is looking into buying up some pubs. And, but the like, but the large, large majority of people that have been made redundant or been laid off or whatever, you know, due to their circumstances, they're out of work. Their job is not going to be there. And we don't know how long it's going to be exactly. before we can get back to that stage where, you know, we have the pre-pandemic well, um, unemployment you level. Back, you're we, making a lot of assumptions we're going to go back into that way of being. I think we're moving to no, a different what, I mean, we're moving to a different way of being now because I think on so many levels people will be so insecure that you won't be able to offer the same abilities we had in the past. Well, give me one example you mentioned briefly just earlier, but take Debenhams. So the company that bought Debenhams bought the name so they can use it online. The actual stores are going to close. So that means another sort of 1,200 workers that do not have a job now. So those people, when they look for work somewhere else, their bargaining power becomes minimal because so many other people are looking for work right now. Yeah. So whereas you were getting the minimum wage, you're going to get less than the minimum wage now because employers can't afford to splash out and give you the, a proper wage. They're not getting any money coming in. It becomes a cycle of, of slavery, to be honest with you. And that slavery is going to hurt because we've just left Europe as well. We don't even have the support of Europe that we had before. Yeah, yeah. You know, the timing couldn't be worse, quite frankly. You know, I mean, yeah. you, if, if you had a sort of... Um, one of those minds that thinks everything's a, you know, a, a conspiracy. You might say, perhaps the government did this exactly at that time so they'd enslave us all, because that's the outcome will be. Hmm. I mean, most people have got this common sense when this is all finishes, go living somewhere like New Zealand, you're going to have a much healthier lifestyle with much better incomes, etc. I'm not advocating people go to leave, but I'm just saying, you know, the, the point is, we're in a situation that's way, way, way deeper than that they're going to have there, for example. Yeah. I think us in America will take a long time to recover from this. A long time. Very long time. I mean, I can't say about France and Germany. I don't know, quite know how they're dealing with it. But certainly when you look at America, they're probably the only country that's worse than us in dealing with this. Maybe Brazil as well, but certainly America is absolutely, you know, it's going to take, it's going to take them a decade to recover from this because they have simply not acknowledged the depth of this virus and how to deal with it quickly. And maybe the new administration might do that, but they've wasted a year pretending it didn't exist. We spent a year dithering between herd immunity, test and trace. How much money has been spent on test and trace? You know, there's that system that would roll out in the Isle of Wight, etc. We had waiting for PPI equipment so it would come and all. I mean we've spent millions and yeah. wasted it virtually burnt that money 
by not dealing with it properly. They could have, for example, housed the homeless. They could have started up stores properly. And instead, we've just wasted it all by incompetence. It's bare incompetence. You know, if you worked for an employer and he was incompetent, and he was incompetent, how would you tell him? Because that's the situation we're in as a nation. How would you tell your government you're failing badly here? And all these other people want to stand around and say, oh, don't blame the government because, you know, this is the first time we've had an epidemic. But that's about leadership. It's not about an epidemic. It could be anything. It's how you lead. It's how you deal with this. How many people in this country have said to me, I wish we had New Zealand's government in charge here? So it's about leadership. It's not about the fact that no one's had it before, because all the countries in the world haven't had this before. You know, China and a few other countries have, but most countries haven't had this. So the ones that are doing so well have had decent leadership that immediately took control of the situation. You know, you think about anything that you've attended, you get these people to stand up and take control. Right, everyone start heading for the exit, go carbonate. Where Where's that? We seem to have Dad's army in charge of the country at the moment. <laughs> it's all don't panic Mr. Barry and then everyone starts panicking oh. I will, a simple question I will put out on this pod would be what does it take for us to make the changes so that we as a nation can cope with this what strategies do we need because clearly believing in this government and following this government is not working and people sitting there on their own saying, well, this is not working, is not enough. My simple challenge to people listening, answers on a postcard, please, is what can we do as a nation to take this in hand properly? And it does silent screaming. Just repeat that a second. It doesn't include silent screaming. Really simple, really. You would think, but yeah. we've been saying that for the best part of a year now. And I think two years or three years, if you include the whole Brexit, the whole voting, all of that stuff, all everything that's going It's taken the best part of three years for us to decide what government we want, decide whether we want to stay in Europe, and decide how to deal with this virus. And you could argue in all three, we failed pretty badly. Yeah. Well, so what I'm asking is, what does it then take to move forward? Most, A lot of people I know now are saying to me, they're kind of a little bit jealous of America, that they've actually made a, a swift change to a government that perhaps could take more control and have more direction, have more leadership. We're still stuck with the same government we had a year ago who yeah. aren't achieving. Simply not achieving. Now, I'm happy to take any, you know, online messages but people tell me that they are because I'd love to see how. If you're okay, that's fine. But look at the nation around you. So I think we should end the podcast here with allowing people to either think about what they would do to make positive change or to contact us with 
what they think the best strategy of going forward is. Hit us up on the Twitter, which is at underscore serious anarchy. Yes. And uh, we look forward to hearing what your thoughts are. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. Talking to you. It brings a it brings a step and a rise to the nation, so that's always a good thing. Thank you. It's, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. And I was thinking about this yesterday. It, it's actually been really good to meet you. And I, I know we met through the the LTAR group on Facebook, and you know I've, I've been I've made a few connections, and you know you've been one of those people that I've been speaking with on a, a fairly regular basis. Um, and it's been a great support for me. Um, just being able to still reach out and actually have a conversation. Like, we'll, we'll pick up the phone and actually, you know, have video calls. And, and you know, I really do appreciate it. I want to put something out there to your listeners that meeting you, for me, I don't meet a lot of people in my life that, for example, if I'd have met... Uh, Galileo or Isaac Newton. I don't meet those kind of minds generally passing through life. But whatever you turn your hand to, Jermaine, you you have a, a sort of vision and a way of thinking that goes beyond the pale, beyond the normal level. And for me, it's been invigorating to work with the, the threads of thoughts that you have because you, you take it onto a different level. And I really hope that people, if you're going to use Twitter, ask Jermaine questions because you might always get the question you expect, the response you expect to get, but what you get will like fuses for you to think about a whole host of things. So don't be shy now. Thank you. <laughs> and for anyone who's who gets in contact with this, really if you're living out on the streets, I wish you a warm and safe, safe time as you can have. I've worked with people that were in that situation. I can tell you. I have nothing but empathy for you. No, I just wish you the safest possible trans, you know, journey through this cold and harsh winter. I would say. And for everybody else, until such time, more time. More time for love and liberty and, liberty. and health. Have, have a great day, everyone. Peace out. Or have the best day that you can. <laughs>